we're back. Real talk with Chuck and Pam. How are you? I'm peachy. How are you? You're peachy? Peachy keen. <laughs> peachy keen jelly bean. There you go. Uh-huh. I like some of the old timey kinds of phrases and sayings. I think they're fun. Yeah, and I know I'm getting old because I find myself, when I use them, looking them up. Because, you know, you, right. you, you've used phrases all your life mm-hmm. and you don't stop and think about, well, what does that really mean? They're kind Where of interesting. That, you know, and I, I used the phrase boonies today. As huh. in, he's out in the boonies. The boondocks. The boondocks. Yes. And so I looked up boondocks. Okay, and? It is a word from the Philippine language. Who Ex- knew? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Apparently, it means mountainous or remote region. Oh. And we were involved in a war with the Philippine Islands in the late 1890s, early 1900s. And apparently, soldiers brought that term back. Huh. Interesting. Again. Oh. Who to thunk it? There you have it. Film criticism and no, um, linguistics. I guess it's linguistic yeah, history as etymology. well. Etymology. <laughs> there you go. You never know what you're going to get here. <laughs> never. Um, bees knees. The bees knees. Yeah. Or the cat's pajamas. Yeah. Yeah. Let's look those up. Okay. Those from the 20s, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah 20, the flapper 23, era. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. Yeah, okay. I, I like those. Those are just for some reason I like saying the bees knees. Yeah. Well, you're the cat's meow. I am. <laughs> <laughs> but only when I'm in my jammies. <laughs> Anyway, I'll we're take going your away word from for that. that. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? Let's start off. There's some big news that's coming down the pipeline, oh. and I've been in my car driving and unaware of all these sudden news flashes. Chuck Koplinski, let's take it from you. What I'm, happened? I'm well. First off, I'm going to give you all the news is coming from Warner Brothers today. I'm going to give you a piece of Warner Brothers news that's really going to bum you out. Okay. Wonder Woman '84. They re- released the running time today. Two hours and 31 minutes. Uh, <laughs> it does not surprise I, me. I, but, love, uh, I know how you love your superhero epics. So two hours, 31 okay. minutes, the longest of the DC superhero films so far. Wow. Do they not know the word snip, clip, cut, paste, edit? <laughs> I guess I, not. I'm gonna, I want to make a bet with you. Mm. I am going to guess that the last 31 minutes of the movie is all going to be special effects Shoot them up, bang them up, a, kind of things. A fight that should end and at three different occasions, but keeps right, going. Right. Oh yeah, completely. Okay, all completely. right. Well, let's let's time. I'm going to guess 31 minutes. How okay. many minutes are you going to say? Let's uh, be about right. Okay, we yeah. agree. Wow. Yeah, uh, but the more dire news that came out of Warner Brothers today, they announced that for the entire roster of 2021, every new movie that they were releasing in theaters in 2021, whatever state theaters are in at that point, as far as where they're open, will also begin on HBO Max that very same day. Now, this is what they're doing with Wonder Woman 84 uh, on Christmas Day. And that seemed to be a one-off thing until today's announcement. Uh, You're talking about 14, 15 major films that are going to be available on HBO Max the very same day that they open in theaters. And apparently they're going to be on HBO Max for 31 days. Why you would take them off HBO Max after 31 days makes no sense to me at all. Uh, it would be nice if they maybe waited two weeks before putting them on HBO Max to give the theaters you know, at least a little bit of breathing room. Right. But they're going for the jugular here. Uh, and this is a huge, huge nail in the coffin for theaters. Uh, They say that this is a temporary thing for 2021 because of COVID, but once that toothpaste is out of the tube, that's not going back in. Uh, They're going to see uh, a a much bigger, they get a much bigger take 
um, as far as things on HBO Max. Uh, this is this is not good news for uh, for movie theaters at all. Wow, that's that's incredible and shocking, and obviously not a knee jerk reaction to COVID because pulling something like this is not something that you take lightly. No. Or do you make that decision very quickly? So this has been in the pike, I'm sure, for quite some time. And, and like been... we had talked about before, this is actually a help maybe to some studios because, like you said, they're going to take a bigger mm -hmm. piece of the pie home. Mm -hmm. And so showing them in theaters maybe isn't going to benefit them the way that it used to. So. No, no. And, you know, and, and Universal, I mean, a couple months ago, they announced a deal with AMC in which they would then put them online 17 days right. after release. So right. they were at least giving AMC and theaters three weekends. Right. And, you know, I guess you could live with that. But this goes straight to, you know, day and date. And that's what theaters have been dreading for a long, long time. So uh, I, I have a feeling other theaters going to go that route. Yeah. Or, I mean, I should say other studios yes, yeah. are, are going to go that route. Because I was just thinking the same thing. I thought, this is Warner Brothers, and they're responsible for some of the biggie movies that come out of the, the woodwork here. Well, we've you got know? all the, the upcoming uh, DC superhero films next right. summer. Uh, their big budget film, Dune. Uh, all these things are going straight to TV. Wow. It's, it's just crazy to me because even though I don't love the superhero movies, I did like the first Wonder, Wonder Woman, by the way, um, and I am more than looking forward to the first two hours of Wonder Woman. We'll see about that last half hour. Um, but some of these movies really do need to be seen on the big screen, and I would think based on the first Dune and then the special effects and the things that we saw in the trailer of this new Dune, I would think you would want to see that on the big screen. Well, you know, hardcore people, fans of those things, will. Right. What I don't understand is how Warner Brothers makes their money back. Right. I mean, these are huge expenditures. We're, courting, we're, we're talking a quarter of a billion dollars for these films. How do they make that money back by putting them straight on HBO Max? I mean, are they expecting a huge jump in subscriptions? I'm guessing I mean, that's what they're doing. I, you know? I guess they are. But they're trying uh, to compete with the, the successful model that Netflix has sure, done. You know? Sure, but is that sustainable? I mean, again, I, I'm, I'm not one of the bean counters. Right. I, I don't quite get it. But on the surface, financially, it seems to me they're taking a loss. I am guessing that in the immediate, they probably are, much like we talked about with Netflix, sure. they are as well. And yeah. I guess it's called an investment, and they're hoping for a larger return on their money and waiting for this whole film industry to change the landscape completely. And, and it is. The, it's changed much, much more quickly. I, I think COVID accelerated it. I don't think COVID instigated it. COVID gave them the excuse to move ahead with it. Yeah. 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 You know, because I, I don't know if you remember a film, Tower Heist, yes. from many years yeah. ago. That yeah. was the very first one where they wanted to put the film on Comcast cable three weeks after it was released. Okay. That was the first little chink in the arm and the first, you know, attempt at that. And that was at least, what, three ten years, years ago? Was it that long? Yeah. Jeez. Okay. So, so they've flies. wanted this for yeah. a while. And, and you're right. COVID has just opened the floodgates right. and give them the, gave them the reason to do it. Hmm. So we'll see how this plays out. Well, speaking of old-time Hollywood and now in the new times, let's talk about Mank. You know, and, and I was hoping you were going to say that because, you know, Hollywood and movies, they do change. They have to change right. to survive. And, you know, they, 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 they always find a way, one way or the other. So I want you <laughs> to delve into Mank because... No, you don't. I, well, I do. I do because, you know what? Um, we don't have the time. <laughs> no? Do we not? I guess we do. 
No, How much time do, do we have? Oh, okay. <laughs> well, tell you what. Why don't you just give us a quick synopsis and tell us what your thoughts are, and I'll tell you what my thoughts are. Okay. And then let's save this for a discussion maybe closer to Oscar, because I have a feeling this is going to absolutely garner some nominations. It will, but I don't think as many as I would have thought before seeing the film. Okay. Uh, because, and I think this is what's prompting that conversation you want to have, is that Mank is a movie for people who love old Hollywood. The more you know about uh, Hollywood of the 30s and 40s, the more you know about Citizen Kane, the more you know about William Randolph Hearst and Orson Welles and Marion Davies, and if you don't know who those names are, you're not going to enjoy this film right. by any stretch of imagination. This is an incredibly personal film made by David Fincher, who's known for things like Seven, uh, curious Case of Benjamin Button, Zodiac. This is really kind of out of his wheelhouse, but the script was written by his father. Uh, and his father died about 10 years ago, I believe, and oh. he's going ahead and producing this thing. This shows you how much Netflix wants them, wants to be in the David Fincher build business, because this is a film that's not made for the general audience. Uh, as I said, if you don't have that knowledge, you're going to be a little lost by this thing. And they certainly let him do whatever he wanted to do technically in telling the story of screenwriter Herman Mankiewicz and his uh, efforts to write the screenplay for Citizen Kane. Uh, it in, in itself is an incredible story. He's a very troubled guy, played by Gary Oldman, self-destructive. Uh, and he is recovering from an automobile accident when Wells approaches him to write this script. He's laid up in bed uh, in a remote desert town in California. This is all true. And he dictates the script to Citizen Kane to Rita Alexander, played by Lily Collins, this secretary, stenographer, whatever you want to call her, Girl Friday, with infinite patience. And as he's doing this, we get flashbacks in Mankiewicz's life. And we go back and forth between this situation and key moments in which he was working in Hollywood. And if you know Citizen Kane, you see the seeds in these sequences of things that then blossom within the script. Primarily his relationship with the actress Marion Davies, who was the mistress of Char uh, William Randolph Hearst. Uh, think um, who would be Elon Musk. That caliber of power, uh, maybe uh, Bezos as well, back then, as far as controlling the media, Hearst had this. And he wanted to make Marion Davies a movie star. She was already a movie star, but he wanted to make her a mega star and pulled out all the stops in order to get movies made with her, to get them distributed at the major studios. Uh, and Mankiewicz gets to know these people. And this relationship he has with them is the basis for this script. Um, one of the things I loved about it is that it has the exact same structure as Citizen Kane. Citizen Kane is nothing but flashbacks, trying to find out about this guy named Charles Foster Kane. This is the same thing. We're trying to find out who this Herman Mankiewicz guy was through these flashbacks. Uh, it's black and white, just like Citizen Kane. Then we're using various camera angles and setups, just like Citizen Kane. He even goes so far, Fincher goes so far as to re-record the dialogue in a single track, not stereo. And it has a slight echo to it because he knew that's how it sounded in the vast movie houses of 1941 when Citizen Kane was released. So you've got all these little minutia upon minutia. And yeah, I know the strained look on your face. No, I'm just, I use the same word minutia in my, yeah. my review, actually. You know, and, 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 you know, for me, it was a dream. I, I absolutely loved this thing. I can't wait to watch it again because of all the allusions to 
famous actors and actresses and screenwriters, and, and I was just in hog heaven on this thing. Yeah. And um, everyone else is going to be wondering what the fuss is about. Well, I think, you know, it is, it is gorgeous. It is oh, it's a gorgeous cinematically film. gorgeous film. So whether or not you know Citizen Kane, you are going to appreciate the beauty mm-hmm. of this film. Um, I was transported back to this era I felt like I was immersed, and I was watching it on my big screen in the basement, mm-hmm. and I was right there. And there is something elegant about black and white that color can never capture. Mm-hmm. And it's such a weird thing to say that black and white can be more elegant than color, but it's just the richness and the that so many shades of gray in between. Mm-hmm. And whoever the cinematographer is in this film did an extraordinary job of being able to capture that era costume design was incredible Mm -hmm. casting was phenomenal um amanda seyfried who played marion davies um she is i'm right right Mm -hmm. okay you gave me a funny look like Mm -hmm. no No, that's not marion davies i'm like yes i think it is (laughs) (laughs) my film history is not yours um she is the epitome of elegance and class of a starlet of Mm -hmm. that era i mean where the where the movie fell apart for me, even though I'm I've watched Citizen Kane and I know it, but not obviously as well as you do. Um, I haven't seen it in ten, twelve, maybe even more years. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it could have really reeled in people who didn't have, who aren't cinephiles, who aren't film critics. It could have reeled in other people if we could have had a little bit more of the story of their relationship, Marion Davies and. Um, uh, And I had that objection as well. Okay. That there was not enough of that there. I was left questioning, and even I know these things, just the extent of that relationship. Right. And we needed more of that. You're correct. Yeah, and and whenever she was on the screen, she was a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. She lit up every corner of that screen, and you wanted more. And they are such polar opposite people that that even made it more magical. That chemistry was there, and I wanted more. And I wanted to know more about poor Mank's wife. (laughs) Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah, That woman, she she, uh, gets to short end of the stick. Right. Played, played by Tuppence Middleton, right. English actress, who I always like whenever she shows up. Yeah, she she gets one scene in which she, he asks her actually why he, he put, she puts up with him, and she just basically says, I just want to hang around to see wh- how this all turns out, right. which is not nearly enough information uh, as to why. Right. Why? And, <laughs> and she accuses him of having all these, and this is an interesting uh, uh, phrase, how he has all these platonic affairs. Mm-hmm. And that's just an oxymoron, first of all. Right, right. And then how that seeps into their relationship and what is their relationship and why is it the way that they are. So I think I think that the screenwriter missed out a little bit on pulling in the everyday Joe and wanting to see this movie and maybe even, you know, stimulate an appreciation of film history right. and maybe delve more into, hey, this is really cool. I want to learn more about Citizen Kane. I want to learn more about those camera angles and how they faded in and out and use that old style of, of mm-hmm. filmmaking. So I, that was my issue with it. It does meander. But you know, at the end of Citizen Kane, the reporter who's been investigating admits that he didn't find out enough about him and he still remains a mystery. And there are certain aspects of this film 
and certain characters who still remain a mystery. Okay. And I can't help but wonder if maybe that was done on purpose as well. Well, that could very well be. You know, again, Fincher does what he wants to do here, whether you want to get it or not. And, and so I guess you have to give them that, that it, it just may have been done on purpose. Right, could very well be. Mm -hmm. All right, well, what do you want to talk about next, Chuckster? Oh, well, I don't know. What else is left? I mean, we it's been a Ammonite, big week. We got Sound of Metal. We got Black Bear. Why don't you no talk Man about Land? Sound of Metal? It's a movie that I've been wanting to see and has gotten by me. Yeah. And I know you really liked it. I did. And I got to tell you, the, what is the description of the, the movie? Um, heavy metal drummer loses his hearing. There you go. That's it. <laughs> Gee, that makes me want to And is not run. happy about it, right? <laughs> yeah, shockingly. Um, just didn't really want to make me run out and watch the movie. And I really was not looking forward to seeing it. And boy, I was just so pleasantly surprised because this is so much more than that one sentence that poorly describes what this film is about. Sorry mm -hmm. to whomever wrote the IMDb description <laughs> on that one. Um, this stars uh, Riz Ahmed. I don't know if you know who that is. He was in The Night Of. He's, he's a guy you know when you see him. It's like, right. oh yeah, that guy. Right. And he's an extraordinary actor. I've seen him in quite a few things. I've seen him in a lot of festival films that never took off, unfortunately. Um, and he is a wonderfully dramatic character. He plays this heavy metal drummer who has a um, who had a drug problem? He was a drug addict. He is touring the country in a van with his girlfriend Lou, played by Olivia Cook, and they're going places, literally and figuratively. They really are, um, I guess, an extraordinary heavy metal band. But all of a sudden, he has a profound hearing loss. He doesn't know what's happening. He's scared to death. He goes to see a pharmacist who refers him to an audiologist. They conclude that um, this is irreparable damage due to drug usage. Um, what I really enjoyed about the fact that they didn't really hammer away on the fact that this guy screwed up his life. I mean, he was a drug addict, and now here are long, even though he's kicked the habit, here are long lasting repercussions for, for having that, for so, doing that. So the hearing loss isn't due to the music? No, I'm sure that didn't help. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Because I, I figured, you know, this was a result of years and years and years. Yeah, I, I am sure that it probably exacerbated things, but mm -hmm. the cause of the profound hearing loss is from. Um, heroin usage, huh. I guess it was. Didn't realize that was a side um, effect. Yeah, there are, I guess there are a lot of different drugs that are autotoxic. Alcohol is another one that is autotoxic. So You're kidding. Can, no, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Back to Mankiewicz. Back to Mankiewicz. <laughs> right. Um, so anyway, the we we get a chance to step inside. This, this character's name is Ruben. We get to step in his shoes and experience this immediate hearing loss and what that's like for him. And it's not just devoid of sound. There is a muffling and a muting and an uncertainty as to, you know, how to localize the sound, which is so important in our safety as well as in communication. And um, he does an extraordinary job of being able to let us inside of his head to feel what he's feeling and experience what he's experiencing as he figures out, how, can he get his hearing back? No, he can't. There's a surgery that he can have, he can have cochlear implants, but it's $40,000 to get the surgery. He doesn't have that kind of money. He ends up living at a facility for hearing impaired people, I think with also with drug addictions and issues. Um, and the lead, it's led by this guy named Joe, Paul Ricci, I think is his last uh, true name. And um, he's got an interesting background himself. He is a child of uh, deaf parents, I think. 
And so he knows sign language. He is um, well-versed with being able to be an interpreter. I think he's a certified interpreter for um, legal affairs. And so he's, mm, cool. he's really, he understands both sides of the coin. And there are two sides of the coin, and it, this film delves into this nicely and seeing um, there's a hearing community and there's a deaf community. And the two don't over, overlap at all. It's an interesting dichotomy that I don't think a lot of people know about, and this one really appealed to me just because of my background being a speech-language pathologist, mm -hmm. and I worked with the hearing-impaired uh, population, and specifically the zero to three kids. What you're talking about with the, uh, the differences between the hearing community and the deaf community, I remember that was touched upon in Children of a Lesser God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was when I first became aware of it, because I had no idea that there was this schism, right. uh, as it were. Um, I'm assuming that the soundtrack at times replicates what he's hearing or exactly. not hearing. Yeah. And I can't imagine how frustrating oh. or maddening that would be to hear maybe, you know, you had mentioned muffled things mm -hmm. or part. I mean, that would just drive, drive me out of my mind. I mean, to just try and grasp that and can't get it. Right, right. That is frustrating. And I think as I know, as I'm getting older, my hearing isn't as sharp as it used to be. And I, you know, with everyone wearing masks, I have yeah. a hard time oh, hearing yeah. because I really sure. rely on that visual information. Right. Um, the other thing that, that we experience with Ruben is that he discovers this new part of who he is becoming. And is he okay with that? Or does he want his hearing back? And it's really, it's a touching and sweet story. His, his performance is very gentle, um, unlike the music that he plays. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and so these are all different aspects that I would never have predicted to see these elements in this film. And it really was beautifully, beautifully done. Great ending, an unexpected ending, not a Hollywood film. Does it meander? It's two hours and ten minutes. Oh, is it two? Really? Oh, okay, well, good. So yep. if you are surprised by that, yep. and that's good. I'm going to zip right on by. It did not feel like two hours and ten minutes at all. Okay, so, good deal. Yep. So you can see that one on Amazon Prime beginning Friday. Yep, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I am looking forward to it. It's got nothing but good write-ups. Good, so, good, uh, good. So, yeah, i got to get to that one. All right, so let's talk about Ammonite. Ammonite. Boy, I wish that she could all see Pam's expression <laughs> on her face when she says Ammonite. Do that again. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a pruny <laughs> face, like she just stubbed her toe or was sucking on a lemon or something. On a lemon, yeah, yeah. <laughs> ammonite. I don't have a pruny face with that, but I'm not okay. smiling. <laughs> um, it's a bit disappointing. Yeah, a bit disappointing well, so for you to say that with Kate Winslet. In it, that's that's pretty and harsh. And two graphic sex scenes with Kate Winslet. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it uh, it was not what I hoped it would be. And, you know, yeah, okay, let's talk about these sex scenes. Sex scenes are sex scenes, but if there's no... If you don't feel any passion for the characters or are lukewarm about the characters, then they don't mean it. Yeah, this is blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it's, it's Time kind to go of, get some popcorn or let bland. the dog out. <laughs> uh, well, I wouldn't say the sex scenes are. <laughs> but, but it just... This is a romance that just doesn't have the spark that it should. Right. It, it just did. It, there's something lacking here. Uh, and it's based on a true story. A woman's name is Mary Anning. Uh, Kate Winslet plays this role. She was a paleontologist who never got the credit she deserved. Uh, she's in England. She's on this small, uh, she lives in this small village on the English Channel. And she's pulling out fossils of things that other people don't know what they are, can't find them, huge fossils. I mean, 
entire heads of dinosaurs and things. And, and she just becomes, you know, uh, well-known within the community, but she's never given the credit she's deserved. And she never gets the money, of course, that she deserves either. Uh, you have these rich sponsors who will come in and buy these uh, artifacts that she finds for a pittance of what they're worth, and then they present them under their name. Uh, she didn't get the recognition she deserved until much later in her life and then much afterwards. Uh, but she was really, really a significant figure uh, because apparently during the wintertime and the rainy season on the shore, uh, the rain and the runoff would erode the shore and expose these things and she would find them and clean them up. And that really, I thought, was pretty fascinating. Yeah. And I wish the movie had been a little bit more about it, quite frankly. Right. Um, she's in no financial position to do much of anything, so this hobbyist comes along, a guy who kind of dabbles in archaeology or paleontology, and his wife, Charlotte, uh, is trying to deal with a, uh, the aftermath of a miscarriage. She's been told to come to the shore and, and take the waters. Take Bathe in the, in the waters. Uh, great line from the only sane doctor saying, oh, yes, <laughs> that torture, he refers to it as. <laughs> and we have an incredibly bracing scene in which we see her go into the frigid, frigid water, uh, which makes Charlotte sick. Uh, she ends up staying with Mary. Uh, the husband suggests... He's, she stay there for a month. He'll pay for this. Six weeks tops. Six weeks tops. Yeah, yeah. yeah maybe. <laughs> uh, and it's a it's a relationship that doesn't get off to a a good start. But the two women end up seeing uh, kindred souls in each other. I guess you would say uh, women who've been uh, marginalized, uh, discarded, overlooked, and that is there within them, and they respond to each other in that way. Hmm. I I never understood the connection between the two of them. I didn't. I'm see, doing my best. Okay, I didn't, I didn't see that aspect, and I see I saw Kate Winslet's character of of Mary Anning as being a very strong, harsh, rugged woman who just didn't take any shit from anybody. Well, and that's because she's mad. Right. I, I, she's mad. She's she's. Well, she has to take care she, of her mother. Yeah, I mean, she's she's really gotten the shit end of the stick, yeah. and she has become emotionally walled off. She doesn't want to be hurt anymore. Right. Well, and then we, we get an inkling that she has had an affair with this other woman. Another woman, right. That um, didn't go well. Right, Fiona Shaw, who I love. I've seen her a lot this year. Yeah, she's had a busy year. Yeah. Um, but we didn't get really, we didn't delve into exactly what happened between the two of them. And that's, I think, a problem with the entire film. Yeah. There's not enough delving. No, there's no delving. <laughs> there are so many layers to this that, you that know, they should feel, have yeah, been, I mean, it could have yeah. been easy for them to delve into that. The other thing that I had an issue with is, okay, so Mary is taking care of mom who's old and, and crabby. She's yeah, lost she's eight old. children. Yeah, she's yeah. allowed to be crabby. Completely. And um, now Mary is put in the position of not only caring for her mother, but now she's got to take care of this wafy woman woman who walks into her store and has no personality and is just like a total like drag on everything that she is trying to do. I saw no connection there. I saw no camaraderie and in real life you shared well, with me that article. Right. Um, yeah. That it shows was much that they different. really were colleagues. And, yes. and had they been intellectual equals, I think I would have bought it a little bit more. Which seemed to be the case in real life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the real life stuff that we've been reading seems more interesting. Right. Uh, it seems as though the bonding and the breakthrough find, uh, happens when uh, Charlotte finds that fossil. And they, they pull it out together. I think that's what we're supposed to see as the, yeah, okay. the breakthrough there. See, to me, it's like, look, Mommy, look what I found. Aren't you proud of me? It's, sure, it, it was that. It, 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 yeah. it felt too maternal, though. It would be Very much. 
it, to me, there was almost this factor of you've got a mother-daughter relationship. You've got a caretaker relationship sure. here. And it just didn't work for me. I felt no connection between I, the two women. I understand that completely. Yeah. I think I liked it a bit more than you did. Uh, I thought that the ending, the ending finally had some emotion to it. <laughs> To me, I know you had given up to it by of it that by I that. I had, I had. But I guess I could just respond to uh, Charlotte, played by Shersha Ronan. By the way, I don't think we've mentioned that she's wonderful. Right. Of course, everything she does, she still has that youthless, youthful, youthful <laughs> exuberance. This this hopefulness, and when it is crushed by Mary, I I, I was kind of moved by that. Oh. I, I really was. Okay. She had all these grand plans for them. She'd made all these arrangements, sure, sure. and then. Boom, she just flattens her, just right. flattens her with refusing to go along with this plan that she has. I think had the rest of the film had those emotional stakes, we really would have had something. Yeah. But it's just, it's just not quite there. No. When, when you texted me and you said, oh, that ending was gut-wrenching, I'm like, did you watch a different movie? Yeah, did you watch I don't think movie? that was your response. I did think you watch your response, Nomadland? I'm going to try and look at it. It's a bit more snarky than that. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but yeah, it's, it's too bad because I had high hopes for this one as well. Um, um, another one that I had high hopes for was Nomadland. Um, Frances McDormand is in this one. And anything that she is in to me, is usually like a, a big neon sign that says, great things are coming. Um, and then we, Chloe, Chloe Zhao, um, who gave us The Rider from a couple of years ago, an interesting filmmaker. Um, and the film, the film that she made was very interesting. I had a chance to interview her. I, I in love Toronto. that film, The Rider. Um, that was, that Talk was about heartbreaking. heartbreaking. Jesus, <laughs> right? God. Right? Yes. Um, and she has this unique style that I think is is solely hers. And I think that style is from... And, and okay, you made it disagree with me. Go ahead. Uh, I, I don't think it's a distinctive style. I mean, our favorite filmmaker, Kelly Reichert, I mean, I, I, she... Uh, <laughs> you I, mean, I, you know, my, I'm her favorite film critic? Is that what well, you're talking about? Well, I think about? I'm 1A. Oh, you're okay. 1A and I'm 1B. <laughs> uh, I, I think she has a similar style. You know, this... Uh, just going to let the camera go on the, uh, on the uh, environment. The environment becomes a huge part of, uh, right. of the films. Um, I, I think where they differ, though, is Chloe takes real people, and she had she had one star, no, two stars. David Strath, say his last name. Strathairn. Thank you, and um, Francis, Francis and David, mm -hmm. and those are the only two actors in this movie. Yeah. the rest of them are just real people living this nomad life. They're living in their vans, and why are they living in their vans? Because they can't afford their homes anymore. They've been ousted from their jobs, or they have no no safety net. This country has no safety net. Houseless. Not homeless. Right, not homeless. I liked that. That was a really significant line. It was. It was, yeah. wasn't it? Mm -hmm. So it, they delve into this style of living, and they do a wonderful job of, of capturing the difficulties that people go through, mm. moving from place to place to place and never feeling like there's a home, and what do they do to make ends meet? And it's a, it's a community. It definitely is a community. And that's people. the strongest aspect of the mm -hmm. film, I think, this community that looks out for each other. Uh, there's a, you know, and you, 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 you touch on this with her using real people, but there's a documentary there right. that I want to see. Right, right, right. And if you want to see something that's fictional, watch the short history, the long history, 
No, the sh- oh, the short road. Yeah, oh, the short road. No, yeah, the yeah, short I mean, history yeah. of the long road. Yeah, something like that. Whichever way. I know. <laughs> um, we liked it though. We loved that one, <laughs> and that one touches upon you know people living in this type of of an environment as well, and all the different safety nets that are not there to help people who struggle, and but that one has a story to it that I enjoyed. This one lacked a story. Well, and what's interesting is that this takes place during the recession of. Eight, nine years right, ago. Right. And yet, th- it's probably worse now. Right. And it's going to be even worse. It, it, it's probably worse now. Yeah. Uh, so, unfortunately, this, this thing is just so damn timely. Um, yeah. I, it, well, you know, again, was this done on purpose? The meandering oh, I think uh, so. quality of the film? I mean, it kind of mirrors what she, she does. Right. I, I think it does. Um, I think that with the writer, her first feature... It had a little bit more structure to it, and I think she was able to give that the whole story a little bit more structure sure. ahead of time. This one just didn't have that structure, and and I personally need structure. Or give me the documentary, <laughs> right? That you know gives me information about um, houseless people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I think the lack of structure was done on purpose, but it doesn't do the film any favors. No, I don't think so oh. either. Now here's what's interesting to me: this woman. You know what her next film is? What? A Marvel superhero oh, film. Oh, I did know that. Yes, yes. Crazy. I can't imagine her doing it. Want to see my face I mean, on that one? Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I can't. And I know that Marvel does this. They will pick directors who show promise, and they give them these assignments because they're going to work cheap. Right, right. Okay, uh, because they've got all of the costs. But going from the writer to a superhero film called The Eternals, which takes place in outer space, by the way, I, I, this is going to be a huge leap. A huge leap, and I'm very curious as to how she's going to pull this off. Who's the writer for that? I don't know, but Angelina Jolie is in it. Uh, Kamal, uh, the guy from uh, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We interviewed him. Yes, yes. Uh, he's in it. He's all buff in that one now okay. too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, Nanjiani. Yeah, Nanjiani. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, a few other people are in it. Uh, it. I don't see it coming together. Wow. I hope she surprises me because the styles can't be any more different. Wow, that'll be interesting. I yeah. can't wait for that one. Yeah, next summer. <laughs> um, so there, yeah, man, we've got we've got a few that we're just not like really super. Oh, let's let's just touch upon really quickly love weddings and other disasters. I watched that one a while ago. You know, and talk about tempting fate. When you put the word disasters mm-hmm. in the title of your movie, <laughs> you just want us. You want you, you you've got to be expecting yeah, plays on words in in written reviews. You have to. This is an anthology film, four different stories revolving is it just around. Four? I, I think it's like just five. four. I don't. I'm gonna. Quite frankly, <clears throat> I kind of lost track. Yeah. Uh, all revolving around weddings and falling in love, and of course, when you see these anthology films, they all come together at one event at the end. And with most films like this, some stories are much more interesting than the others. Uh, they all basically sucked, except for uh, Jeremy Irons, oh, okay, who plays good. a widower. Yeah. Uh, he's a, as an event, a wedding planner. Right. And he, boy, he's got his OCD as an overdrive. Uh, and he has, uh, not had a date in five years. His friends set him up with a blind date. Literally. The woman is blind, <laughs> which they don't tell him, uh, played by Diane Keaton. Uh, that's the highlight. It is. I could have <clears throat> just taken their story and See, just gone with that. That's that would have been a wonderful rom-com. Yeah, that's the movie right they there. They had magic together. Yeah. They were so much well, fun. Diane Keaton is just a hoot. <laughs> it, it shows you, you know, I mean, these are, these are pros. 
These are old pros. These are veterans. They know how to take stuff that's not particularly well written. Right. But they can bring something to it. Right, right. Uh, yeah, missed opportunity. If you wanted me to spend 90 minutes with them, fine. Right. I, I completely agree with you on that. Yeah. Man, Chuck, we're getting along this week. No, that's that's, that's cool. not going to last because okay. I think you got a couple others there. <laughs> and there's one I want to mention that I know you didn't like. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Go for it. Uh, it's been a really good year for horror films. Uh, oh. <laughs> and and Shutter Shutter is a uh, adjunct of AMC. It's their uh, cable channel or streaming channel devoted strictly to horror films. They got some great classic stuff. They got some great original series there. What they don't have is original films that are worth a damn. Until now, uh, anything for Jackson. I know you're shaking your head. I know you didn't <laughs> like it, but I thought it was great. It's about a couple. Uh, older doctor who's a pediatrician. Uh, they've lost. No, their... he's an OBGYN. OBGYN. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Uh, have lost their grandson, he and his wife, and they're going to do anything to get him back. They have stumbled upon a satanic tome that will bring him back into the vessel of a newborn baby. So they kidnap a pregnant woman. They're going to wait for this woman to give birth, do their spell thing, and the soul of their grandchild will be in it. Well, they're amateurs, and they <laughs> say the wrong spell. See, this should have been a comedy. <laughs> I, I was laughing. You were? Okay. I thought it was fantastic. I was rolling my eyes. Uh, they, they say the wrong spell, and oh my God, the shit that happens because they're trying to bring back their their grandson. Maybe it just had to be in the right mood. Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, it's very graphic in its violence. Right. There's no question about that. Uh, my poor son, my 16-year-old son, who I love you, Grant, but you're a big wimp, he gasped on at least two occasions. And, and I was even, even set back by a couple of violent moments. But I thought that anything for Jackson on Shudder, I got a big kick out of it because I love when amateurs are in over their head and things just went to hell. Literally. Literally. <laughs> Literally. You know, I... I liked the premise. I thought it was great. I loved the beginning of it. I was quite taken aback by several moments. Yeah. And then, you know, the the parts that you're talking about that could have been kind of, you know, funny. I mean, truly funny. They could have, like, kicked it up ten notches and gone comedic. And instead, they kept it in that middle tone, which I just elicited eye rolls and that was all I okay. got from me all right. so all right. that was the issue that I had I wish they would have gone a little funnier well I just love the the demonologist who comes in and looks at the spell and he, he said you did this spell <laughs> <laughs> and as soon as he said that I was like oh god <laughs> now I know what's happening <laughs> Dear. All right, so we got that. What else do we have? We got uh, Black Bear. Yeah, you. I, I haven't seen that one. I okay. know you like oh, that. Oh yeah, so I did very my, much. My my uh, screener expired because oh, of course you it's hate a. That? Yeah. Why is it? Why? I know. Why? I know. I know. That's why I've been like watching everything as soon as I get it because I'm so bad at having them expire. Ridiculous. I know. Anyway, but so. it has one of my favorite people in it, Aubrey Plaza. Aubrey Plaza. Yeah, she is awesome in it. And I remember when we talked about this when we first heard about it. I said, well, it's got Aubrey Plaza and Christopher Abbott. It's going to be dark and twisted. And guess what? It's dark and twisted. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, this is about a young couple. Christopher Abbott plays um, Gabe, who is married to Blair, played by Sarah Gadden. And um, they have this lodge up in upstate New York in the Adirondacks somewhere. And a screenwriter who's struggling, has a little bit of writer's block, um, played by uh, Aubrey Plaza. So Aubrey's, Aubrey Plaza's character of Allison um, arrives at this place, and immediately there is 
a connection between she and married Gabe. And um, the three of them, it feels, it just feels so much more like a play than it does a movie, which I love when a movie can do that. Those are like some of my favorite movies. And it, it has a bit of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf tone to it with the way their um, conversations and dialogue devolve with a little bit of alcohol poured over. And it's, uh, it becomes a, a pretty evocative night in so many different ways. You can take that on all the different levels. Um, but then there's a twist. And I can't tell you any more than that. Um, the twist blew me away. I did not expect it. And man, did that make this even darker and more fun. Does it have to do with the bear? The bear is there. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> um, Aubrey Plaza is extraordinary. She has a hauntingly powerful performance. Christopher Abbott, basically, you feel like you're watching two different people. And he does an extraordinary job with that as well. I don't want to tell you anything with okay. that. Okay. And Sarah Gadden, um, she finally gets a role where she can shine. And she's strong. Um, the three of them together are incredible. So even though you're being vague, yeah. I've noticed the film's only 90 minutes. Yep. So taking a chance on this is only 90 minutes. Oh, even yeah. Even though you can't yeah. tell us what the... Yeah, take a chance on it, and then you can thank me. Um, <laughs> seriously, I, I really wanted to see this at Sundance, and I didn't get a chance to, and I'm so happy that I didn't. Actually, I was able to interview Christopher Abbott right. and Sarah Gadden, yeah. and that you can find on our website as well. Mm -hmm. um, just... Just watch this movie. It's going to be one of those indie gems that cannot fly under the radar. I will seek it out. Cool. What else you got? Uh, last thing I think today, Godmothered. Oh, yeah. Uh, with Jillian Bell and uh, Isla Fisher, who I both like. Godmothered is basically Elf. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Okay. <laughs> Although I better find more to say, because am I interviewing Jillian Bell in a couple weeks? Uh, yeah, next week you are. Okay, yep. so I better yep. come up with something more. Maybe we'll talk more about this one then, but it's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is I, I it made is. it all the way through. It was cute in parts, and in parts it was not. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's I not, don't think there's an original thought there. No, and, and I don't think that this is going to be like, everybody knows Elf, and that's on your list of films to see over the holidays. Sure, yes. Yeah. This is not going to be on your list of films to no. see over the holidays. No. So. so in the time we've been sitting here doing this podcast, yeah. another announcement has come over from Warner Brothers. Uh, HBO Max, in which all of their films are going to be premiering next week, no more free trial offer. They have suspended that. Uh, they used to give you a free week. Wow. That's gone. They're playing hardcore They're all the way. They're playing hardcore. That is, that, that is it. Uh, so next year, day and date, The Matrix 4, Dune, In the Heights, The Suicide Squad sequel, Space Jam sequel, Sopranos prequel, The Many Saints of Newark, all on HBO Max, the same day they're in theaters. Wow. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to listen to Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. We know that you're going to agree with Pam more than Chuck, so thank you for listening. <laughs> Tune in next week. I don't know what we got next week. We got like Sienna Miller weeks. next week. <gasps> That's right, Wander, Wander Darkly. Darkly, a movie you really liked. I loved and it. And I'm going to watch it tonight, it. and I'm going to... Shoot, you got a lot to watch I tonight. i got a lot to watch tonight, but that's okay. That's okay. So, yeah, we'll talk about that next week. Yep. Good. That's it. Thanks. See you there.